Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second ever House Divided podcast. Uh, my name is Brendan, and I'm my other host here, Jeremy. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Uh, doing good, Brendan. How's, uh, how's your week been so far? Uh, it's been good. I started classes for the semester, which includes a 7 p.m. to 9.45 p.m. lecture on international business, so it could be better. But other than that, <laughs> it's uh, been a good week, and it's just nice having football back, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I got a got a lot of games watched last weekend. That's one of the things that I always love about MSU opening on the Friday night is getting my Saturday all to myself, not trying to catch games on my phone or uh, at a tailgate. So yeah, it was a good weekend last weekend. Not too many. I wouldn't say there wasn't really any shocking surprises or anything last weekend, but uh, some decent football for sure. It was good to have it back. Oh, for sure. And I would like to just boast for a second that my Everton Toffees did grab three points over Jeremy's Wolves this weekend in the English Premier League. So uh, that's yeah. going to give me one win. I guess say. Standings will keep this year for the Jeremy-Brendan uh, <laughs> rivalry because I don't think we root for a single team that is the same. I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not monogamous in my hockey, fa- hockey fandom, <laughs> so I can get on. I get with you on the Red Wings, but, you know, I, it doesn't really count when I can spread myself out like that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think you're up one nothing, and uh, I, won't, I won't throw you under the bus and tell you that if the Packers win tonight, you can count it uh, since you <laughs> grossly said you're going to cheer for them tonight. But... <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, right. yeah, congrats to Everton. It was they blew him off. So it was a well well deserved win for Brendan in the first uh, first matchup. Yeah, yeah, crazy game by the way. If anybody's interested in soccer, go back and watch the highlights of that one. But uh otherwise, might as well jump in. Last week we started with Michigan State, so this week we're going to go and jump in right into our takeaways from the Michigan game. Uh I get. I did you put down your takeaways, or uh, I just have mine, and we both comment on them. Then. Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, I guess I mean you definitely probably watched it much more intently than I did. I think. Uh, yeah. I forget what the other night game was that night that I was kind of flipping around. So I was in and out of the Michigan game a little bit. Um, you know, I think, uh, especially for me with flipping around, I guess I was going to kind of ask you: uh, Is the I'm not saying that we. I believe there is a quarterback controversy, but is that just fans overreacting or having something to complain about, or yeah, how no. did Shea look and what was where'd that kind of come from? So we'll start there. Uh, I'll, I'll just jump into my positive, um, positive takeaway of Shea yeah. Patterson's game. Uh, the first half, he looked fantastic. He got about 190 passing yards just in the first half was very accurate, Uh, went 17 for 29 on the game. But, you know, there was three or four uncharacteristic drops in there. If anything, that's my biggest – one of my bigger complaints about Michigan's game on Saturday night was the – they looked really jittery, made a lot of sloppy mistakes. But I thought Shea looked good. Um, There were a couple plays where he maybe didn't keep the ball on a read option where I thought he should have. But uh, reports have came out after that he was possibly not injured, but took a decent knock on the first play of the game where he fumbled. But no, I don't think there's a quarterback controversy whatsoever. We knew going in that McCaffrey was going to play, 
and we knew going in that Harbaugh wants to have him play 12 games. So I'm really not concerned about the quarterback position and how it went last uh, last weekend. Yeah, I think it should be mentioned too, because uh, we didn't know it when we recorded last week that uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones was out for Shea as well. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I thought with you know his number one target and Tariq wasn't really at a hundred percent either. Uh, I know he ended up having a good game, but I know they were talking about he wasn't really a hundred percent at the start of the game. So I thought for what Shea had, uh, the offense seemed to look really really good in the first half, which is to be honest, when I was watching more. Uh, was the first half. Yeah, and again, uh, the one big complaint that I saw a lot on the on Twitter was uh, especially at the end of the first half, they tried to run a two-minute drill, and um, there was a scenario right at the end where they spiked the ball on first down inside the red zone when they had two timeouts. I'm going to go with the galaxy brain theory that they were just trying to run it as if they didn't have timeouts for practice. Uh, which, because they figured the game was already out of reach, I might just be being optimistic. I don't know. I was going to say, I've seen, I've seen Harbaugh go serious to put a little more on before halftime, so I don't know about that one. But, That's, but, a good uh, point. That's a good point. I was really just trying to be optimistic in the stadium Saturday night. Uh, a lot of well, the, I would say, I'd say if you want to go optimistic, you'd say you'd rather rather mess that up in a game that you have under control, right? So. That's if you're going to mess that up, do it Saturday night and, and not against, you know, Wisconsin next week or, or anyone after that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, too. Um, I guess I'll jump to my next uh, big positive takeaway was the running back room on offense. They, there was a lot of concern about Michigan not having any big-name players in, at running back, uh, a lot of concern about True Wilson being the best, quote-unquote, best running back going into the season. And pretty much all of my concerns were erased by Zach Charbonnet because not only did he have, I think, eight or nine carries for 90 yards, he also, according to Harbaugh in the press conference on Monday, went nine for nine in pass protection, which would be insane regardless of it being his first game as a true freshman. Uh, and then Christian Turner also had a pretty good game, didn't have the big breakaway play like many expected but there was a couple of them where he turned two or three yard gains into five six seven yard gains and then uh true wilson obviously we didn't see much out of him considering the hand injury but harbaugh did say that charbonnet won the starting job regardless of that hand injury so that is a reason for michigan fans to be feeling very optimistic about the running back room i think i tweeted and i can't remember I can't remember the last time you guys had a running back that was actually I for what I always remember it seems like lately that's been a knock on every Michigan running back um you know not as bad as like like Fitz Tucson obviously that was a huge knock on him but I don't think you guys have had someone that's been such a good uh good at blitz pickup and getting in on that and and Charbonnet like you said uh was perfect on it all night they picked up on it early on tv and uh, he really didn't disappoint at all. He was excellent at that. Yeah, he was, and uh, showed a lot of really good stuff with the ball in his hands, too. Uh, the 141-yard run he had, the uh, the cut he made to fake out the linebacker and turn it from like a 10-yard gain into a 40-yard gain was just pure filth. I really think he's going to be a joy to watch for Michigan fans for the next couple of years. 
And then, yeah, um, yeah, to no disagreement there. I think he was uh, uh, as someone that doesn't follow like you know Michigan recruiting as as deeply, obviously, as I would my own team. Um, you know, kind of started to read about him a little bit and see like how the hype preseason and and out of high school, and he definitely delivered. He looks like he's going to be a really exciting player. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the the other two minor positive takeaways I wanted to mention were just Josh Ross looks really good. I think uh, had to flash some sideline to sideline speed, reminiscent of the last uh, middle linebacker that wore maize and blue, uh, being Devin Bush. It probably won't be in like near the caliber of a star that Devin Bush was, and I think will be in the NFL, but. Uh, Brian Cook of MGO blog mentioned that if Josh Ross is 80% of Devin Bush, he'd be thrilled, and I'm in the same boat. And uh, the other big one was Nico Collins on that touchdown grab. That dude, I literally my note says Nico Collins NFL because I think that dude is going to have a long career in there. He He flashed that vertical and those hands. He did have his first drop in a Michigan uniform on Saturday night but it's clearly not characteristic considering it's his third year at the school. Yeah. And I think you're uh, to add on one positive that you didn't mention. I think uh, Ambry Thomas was pretty excited on defense too. Uh, obviously had the interception and stuff, but for someone coming off of uh, uh, this, what was it that he got diagnosed with or had an issue with his Crohn's, uh, uh, but colitis. Yeah. Colitis, yeah, yeah. To come back from colitis and I, my, you know, my dad's had colitis. I know it's not fun to go through and for him to be out there and, and really make some great plays on the ball and be a shutdown corner at times. It was uh, pretty exciting to see him have a good game too. Yeah. The, uh, the interception was fantastic. I cannot, mention enough how how good that read was and then to have the hands to even come down with that was really good stuff yeah Yeah, apparently he went down the colitis took him down 30 pounds and he gained it all back all just 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 crazy testament to his uh work ethic he he looked good and i should also mention now that you brought ambry up vincent gray also looked pretty good at corner uh coming in and uh I guess um, I'll get to some of the negatives. I do want to mention none of them are that big. Uh, Michigan Twitter and generally the big house was kind of freaking out a little bit Saturday night. No, never. Yeah, yeah. When have Michigan fans <laughs> ever overreacted in a negative way? Name one time. Yeah. But uh, it, it was not nearly as bad as I think. I think a lot of people were concerned about the defense. I was a little bit concerned about the defense watching live. It just didn't have a good feel to it. Uh, but upon actually looking back at the game, I don't think it was as bad as it was. Um, the first two scores that Middle Tennessee State had were both on short fields after the Shea fumble and the Levert Hill punt muff. And then the third score came on in garbage time against Michigan's third stringers. I really don't think it's as much of a concern as a lot of people made it out to be, especially regard. They were under 200 yards still by the time garbage time rolled around. So it really was not the, the collapse that I think a lot of people were painting it out to be. Yeah. I think it's just more like where you started. Right. I think it's uh, yes. Michigan's defense has been so dominant. 
I don't think they were dominant the way we would have thought they would be. Um, one thing to watch, and we're not going to be able to see much against Army being an option team, but I was kind of surprised by how successful O'Hara was uh, for a, a QB that isn't, you know, heralded much and I don't think has a ton of, uh, ton of love out there for him. I, I thought, especially when he had his feet going, I was surprised how he broke contain a little bit. Uh, yeah. But again, first game, I think we're more – when you're looking through the prism of how good Michigan defense has been, it was probably a little wild to see uh, Middle Tennessee kind of move the ball with some yeah. of the success they had. But I don't think that's a long-term concern with uh, with the individual players who had good games on Saturday. Yeah, the Middle Tennessee's quarterback had a pretty good game. It was pretty clear that their game plan was just keep him away from Michigan's defensive ends at all costs. And, you know, it worked. Uh, Michigan probably had three, four set, well, near sacks that were about half a second away from being sacks. He he definitely had a knack for getting the ball out right in time. But, yeah, I think that is a good point. I think a lot of people are used to seeing Michigan come out, especially opening week, um, and just have a dominant defense for defensive performance. Even last year against Notre Dame, while they had a really rocky start, they tightened up and showed a lot. Whereas you're gonna probably, it's probably gonna have a different feel. Um, it kind of felt like a bend but don't break thing, which isn't great against Middle Tennessee State. But yeah, we're gonna have to see how it is once they start Big Ten play. Because obviously, we're not gonna learn anything on Saturday against Army. But uh, that does. Speaking of Big Ten play, it brings me to another one of my negative points. Probably my last, like, super serious one was the defensive tackles did not look good. Uh, that being said, Donovan Jeter and Michael Dwumpour, who uh, would probably rotate at the uh, three-tech position, uh, were both out. So we had to throw Ben Mason out, starting on the D-line, who's only a 270-pound, was a fullback last year. And it looked like it because he got tossed around most of the game. Yeah, and that's especially concerning against, uh, you know, not a Big Ten team like you mentioned. So, exactly. um, But, yeah, it, it's a little bit undersized and probably, I think especially the drop-off from what we're probably used to with the Michigan defensive line, uh, it certainly wasn't as as good as it used to be. But um, getting those two, Drum Ford in particular, I think getting him back is going to be really beneficial. Yeah, I think so too, and I, I believe I read this week that Dwumfor and Jeter are supposed to be back against Army, which is really good. Uh, I'm a little—I'll get that to that more in the Army preview, but I'm a little concerned about throwing people out that might only be half healthy against Army, who likes to. Yeah, I just say get get some steel knees ready. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then my last complaint about Michigan's game on Saturday was, and I'll just direct this to Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh, please don't let me see both quarterbacks on the field at once again <laughs> the rest of the season. Um, a lot of reports were that uh, it, Shea got booed when he came back on after McCaffrey went on, which I'm not so sure about. There was kind of a after-the-play-was-over scrum containing both uh, players from both teams right in the area of the stadium that was booing when Shea went to take the field. So I'm not sure where that booing was directed. Um, gotcha. But I would not have minded if we booed the entire booed the coaching staff 
um, when both quarterbacks were on the field. Cause yeah, I was going to say, I would be doing that too, right? What? I would do that too. That's like if I see a yeah. short side sweep from uh, MSU this year, we're all going to boo. So I think yeah. uh, yeah. I think the fans would be – it's not booing Shea. It's booing, hey, why do we have two QBs on the field again? Yeah, it doesn't work. All game. It's not fooling anyone. Yeah, it's not fooling anyone. There's lots of – everybody's trying to come up with reasons. Like, oh, they're trying to just put it on film to – make people spend mm-hmm. time preparing for it. I don't really know what it is, but I don't want to see it again. And I say that booing the two quarterback situation would be okay. And I'm one of the biggest proponents of do not boo your own team under any circumstance. <laughs> like that, yeah. I was going to get to that more during the Michigan state section. Because I was going to say, yeah. This is I definitely heard some booing of the offense when I turned that on in the third quarter, but yep. Yeah, that, that, but those are my main takeaways uh, from the Michigan-Middle Tennessee State game. It wasn't the prettiest of wins, but it's not always going to be. And I saw a lot of po- positives specifically on offense in the first half that I'm excited to expand on over the course of the season. Yeah, and I don't really have any negatives to add. I think, you know, uh, you definitely will spot the negatives probably easier than I can knowing where the ceiling is at for Michigan. But, um, I mean, yeah, it's – it was a fine win. I don't think, uh, you know, compared to some other games, I remember Michigan opening the season with under Harbaugh, they've been a little more dominant than what they were. Uh, but I don't think that that says anything either about uh, expectations changing for this team. I think they looked fine. Yep. I'll agree. Cause even one of those years where uh, they did look dominant and I know the scoreline didn't reflect it, but the year they played Florida in the season opener statistically outside yeah. of the pick six and, or I think two pick sixes, uh, yep. they statistically dominated Florida, and then that year turned out to be a big old nothing. So there's only so much you can take from a season opener. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to see how they look against Army next week. Move on to – For sure. Yeah, as you say, talking about how much can you take out of a season opener. Uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the thing that – I guess I should probably plug it now. Uh, if you noticed on Twitter that, you know, me and a couple of other MSU guys have started up a new blog too about this. And our first post really covered kind of just the MSU meltdown that happened Friday. <laughs> um, not from the team, but from fans, yeah. uh, which, you know, I, you know, we'll get to the negatives uh second, but I think the main thing is that it would, overlook what happened Friday, which is that MSU defense didn't lose a step. And if anything, they're better, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, the, one of the biggest questions coming into the season was who's going to be the other D end. Uh, if Panishuk could take a big enough step to help take some pressure off Kenny Willekes or kind of let him run free. And I think we saw that against Tulsa, which, you know, mind you is Tulsa. You got to keep that in mind, but uh, that D line, uh, might be one of the best D lines in the whole country uh, with just how consistently they were getting pressure all night on Friday. Um, so terrifying. that's the biggest, uh, what was that? It was terrifying. I, I was watching yeah. every single play. Somebody on that D line was blowing something up uh, that yeah. had planned, you know, as a neutral is fantastic to watch. I'm really looking forward to see how they handle a, a meteor O line. But, yeah, that D-line and, well, probably front seven, which I'll let you get to, but that that front seven is probably one of the top three in the country. It's just fantastic. 
Yeah, and I think I think the other thing too is, uh, of course, the negative seventy three rushing yard stat is uh, going to be inflated by the fact that you know college football counts sacks, and Tulsa had a couple bad snaps, which lost them a bunch of yards. But you know, one thing I started to think in the stadium was, you know, not knowing anything about Tulsa's center is that is this a you know side effect of he's feeling rushed by the rush every play that he's making bad snaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, uh, that probably plays a factor, I would imagine, especially on the road in a Big Ten stadium. And then you have that D-line staring down at you. Uh, you can definitely attribute some of those negative yards to those mistakes made. By yeah. Also. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think, you know, hitting a couple more positive. Uh, that I saw was one was uh, special teams was a big positive. Um, you know, Coglin going four for four on field goals. Uh, we definitely enjoy having our punter back too. Uh, having Jake Hartbarger back made a huge difference, uh, especially when you have an offense like MSU may have. That field position game is going to be important. Uh, so I think, you know, he had one punt out of the back of the end zone that the guy didn't catch it until his own 31. So, having that ability to flip around a field like that was pretty big. Um, and since we have to cover positives for the offense, I think if you wipe out last year, which I know it's not a great way to view where we're at as a team. It's the optimistic view. The offense, uh, the, there were differences. I think that people went in with some pretty unreal hopes, not even expectations, because if they were saying they expected like a hurry-up offense, they were lying to you. Uh, but there was some minor changes that I think, you know, with D'Antonio, we know he always holds back on game one. He doesn't like to put a lot out on tape. Um, what I think they did was they did make some steps. They were definitely up-tempo at points. They uh, they had some different things. They barely went under center. Uh, there was a few different things that they did. I think the hard part was once you go up 25 nothing on a team that you're just – overpowering on defense you're really not going to open up your offense anymore you're going to continue to stay really vanilla after that yeah Yeah. and that's when the booze came out I mean the booze came out in the third quarter which was a really ugly start to the half after a kind of ugly end to the half also uh you know it was it was not a great two-minute drive it was not a great end of the half but at the same time the two drives to begin the second half you have, you know, starting at your five yard line and your seven yard line. And you're crazy to think MSU with a 25, nothing lead on a team that has no chance to win this game right now. Why would you assume they're going to make some play out of the ordinary for them? Uh, They're just trying to run out the clock. And so I know it got fans upset, but I think if they just kind of went in with some different perspective, it would have made a lot more sense, but it's it's hard to do that after last year. Yeah, and I com- I completely understand that. I think it is safe to say that um, the fans that are booing their own team in the season opener on both sides of the coin are not um, thinking probably in the most rational, calm, cool, collected way. Uh, I actually just for context, I did I wasn't able to turn on the game until the second half was starting. I was getting some stuff together for the tailgate for the Michigan game the next day. And so it was uh, – it, it probably looked a bit uglier without context, seeing that beginning of the third quarter where 
their offense was sputtering and they were getting booed on up 25 to 7. But yeah, uh, you don't have to take positives from the offense, though. You said that at the beginning. You, you don't have to. Yeah, and it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, at this team, and I think what people are afraid of is they're afraid of, are you going to waste this defense on an eight-win or a seven-win season? And that's certainly frustrating. Oh, for uh, sure. But I think also, you know, this defense also is partly dominant because they, you know, are not being out on the field often. Mm-hmm. MSU is trying to give them time of possession. They're trying to do certain things. Uh, and just I, as a fan, if we put stuff on tape against Tulsa when we're up 25 nothing and then take stuff off the table later in the season. I, I would be more annoyed that it's going to be something that we can't use later than, okay, I'm frustrated on a Friday night because we're not destroying Tulsa by more. Um, but the neg- to kind of segue into the negatives there, I think the biggest negative is the offensive line still. Uh, you know, And again, with the booing, I don't know if people realize that the line was shuffling as much. When you're in the stadium, unless you're really trying to pay attention to the offensive line, I don't think you realize guys are getting subbed out as much as they were Friday night. Uh, but really, they they had no push at all again. And uh, that's something that's really concerning because you can't get a balanced offense if they can't even get, you know, a two- to a three-yard gain consistently uh, running the ball. So, yeah, that was by far the biggest negative. Yeah, the O-line definitely is a concerning point for me for Michigan State. Um, was there a, is there a timeline for Cole Chewins to be back? You know, Cole's fought injuries for so long. Uh, I think MSU fans might be a little bit nihilistic in their view. Uh, I, I assume that I'm operating under the assumption that he's not going to be back for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully AJR Curry is back. Uh, D'Antonio was a little bit more positive about him. Uh, kind of sounded like a game time decision for this week. Uh, he may go, you know, it was going to depend on uh, how the rest of practice went this week. But if he can slide in at the tackle spot, that allows guys to play in the position that better suits them. Uh, you know, getting Jordan Reed out of the tackle spot or getting back at guard, things that could maybe help move us forward a little bit. But at this point, I mean, you have people after one game calling for a freshman offensive lineman to play. So, you know, they're going to have to figure something out uh, because it's it's not looking great there. And uh, it, it was really not a good effort at all against Tulsa. So hopefully they are inspired to do a little bit more this week because they that's by far the biggest downfall that could happen right now. Yeah, I definitely think so. I can speak from experience that you do not want the freshman O-line in. Uh, I, I, I know it seems tempting, but uh, it's not, not a good time generally. And plus, you know, yeah. a, another thing that Michigan fans are just now benefiting from is when you don't put the offensive line, the freshman offensive lineman in, they get a red shirt, and that extra year tends to matter a lot especially uh, when you're contending like Michigan and Michigan State both plan on doing over the next few years. Um, obviously, I'm not speaking to you, but those are just obvious uh, points. Yeah. Was, was there any yeah. other specific negatives uh, regarding 
the team from Friday? Uh, total lack of discipline. Uh, that was, you know, and the crazy part about it was the game started on the first drive for MSU. They, Tulsa gave them 25 yards and penalties, uh, which helped get the offense going. You know, second play of the game, Brian Lewerke got hit out of bounds, and it wasn't even a bang-bang play. He was by far out of bounds. Uh, and they had another penalty on the drive. So, you know, it looked like Tulsa might be a little riled up and, and out of control. But I think, again, that was a compounding issue for the second half when the offense really started to look brutal, was you had multiple holding penalties. You had uh, three or four false starts. It was just one of the – I know uh, there's a knock on the MSU defense of being aggressive, and that has gotten a lot of penalties at different points in D'Antonio's tenure, but this was a totally different thing. This was just no one on the offense having control of what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, that was really concerning because that, you know, if, if you're struggling to get a push as an offensive lineman, if you're doing certain things, okay, maybe you're not a big enough guy. Maybe you're not in the right spot, but when you're starting to shoot your teammates in the foot by getting false starts and things like that, that's just inexcusable. And, uh, and something that they really need to clean up because that's the type of thing that as good as this defense is in a close game, they are not going to win you games if that's what the offense is doing. So uh, that was a big thing. That was another negative. Um, And to be honest, like my final negative was just uh, the fan stadium experience, not in as a whole, but being there for fans being as negative as they are in a game where, you were never in concern of losing the game. Um, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's amazing to me. I know there's a lot of people that don't grow up college football fans. They don't become fans until they get to MSU or what have you. But, you know, as someone who's gone to MSU since Nick Saban was here um, and seen a lot, a lot of bad football in that stadium mm-hmm. to, yeah, it was frustrating. The offense was not great. It was it was a frustrating experience, especially being that it's going on, you know, 13 weeks if you go back to last year. But at no point were you concerned that they were going to lose that game. And and that's a pretty good position to be in for a program of Michigan State's caliber pre-D'Antonio. Uh, so, you know, the fans losing all that perspective on the first week, uh, that was pretty pretty disheartening. And I think, you know, there's a lot of negatives that get said about MSU fans that are maybe not accurate. But that was a pretty fickle response, and they kind of played in the L a lot of what it said about them um, with with how they responded there. I mean, that's not even appreciating the defense that you have. That's unreal. Yeah. So uh, that was probably a negative, and that's nothing to do with the players or the team. That's just, you know, setting your expectations of what the first game with a new OC sort of <laughs> is going to look like. Yeah. No, we in in Michigan fans are doing the same thing. It might not be to the same extent of negativity, but you were talking about at least Antonio's been there twelve years, I think now. But uh, yeah, but Harbaugh's only been here. This is his fifth year, and previous to that, we were dealing with Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez, and I completely understand your sentiment about feeling like people may maybe need a little bit more perspective on what they have now. I almost think that uh, there are two components to this. I think Michigan and Michigan State kind of trading really, really good seasons has kind of 
uh, put more pressure on each other. Uh, maybe not even yeah. players, but the fans almost feel more pressure for sure be better than the other. And then um, also, both teams are kind of just living right up north of Ohio State, where ten and two is a disappointing year. I don't think that yeah. helps anything either, especially in the in the social media age where we're all connected and can talk even more trash than we ever have. Been. For sure, for sure. And, and I mean to to wrap up the negatives and move on to next week. Uh, two rows behind me, the first run play that MSU ran, the very first play of the game, the response was, "I told you nothing would change," on the very first play. So I don't know what he wanted. That's I don't know if he wanted a flea flicker on the first play or what he wanted. But that just tells you, like, that was the attitude going into the stadium. So it, it explains why people were booing during a 25 to nothing or 25-7 lead. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't get it. I, yeah, I don't know. I, people, I, I miss the NCAA football game as much as everybody else, but maybe it poisoned people uh, to not yeah. understand, like, this is a 12-game regular season. Mm-hmm. You're not going to put it all out on week one. Absolutely. Especially at an established program. Maybe you do that as a new coach, your first game, you want to, you know, enter with a splash. You're not going to do that as a hardball or a D'Antonio uh, when you're, you've been around as long as they have been. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely would uh, trade some week one frustrations for hopefully week, <laughs> week 13 glory. And I think absolutely no, just nobody wants the frustration. now. <laughs> um, That's for sure. And so with that, we're going to move on to next week's games where Michigan is facing off against Army. Uh, I know you can't see me, but I'm actually face-palming as I say this. I'm so frustrated <laughs> that scheduled this game. And Michigan State takes on another in-state MAC school in western Michigan under the lights on Saturday night. Uh, so it should be a fun day here. We'll, we'll lead again with Michigan. Uh, we'll kind of go through – what we're looking for or hoping for. Um, and I'm going to start with one. This takes priority over even winning the game is please God, no injuries. Because <laughs> I, we talked about it earlier. Uh, the Army offensive line, they're obviously they have to fit the specifications to be in the Army. So they're a bit smaller, so they're going to tend to cut block. So hopefully everybody's knees, especially on that thin defensive line that Michigan has, can stay safe. And uh, my reasoning for putting that over winning the game is I, it's out of conference, and we've seen what Army can do. Oklahoma made the college football playoff last year, but in week two they got taken to overtime at home against Army. So obviously the parameters of the loss would matter, and also if this loss actually happened, you will hear a different tone from me next week on this show. But please, no injuries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, uh, we can all hope that too. I think uh, you know, from an MSU perspective, we want Army to give you a game or beat you. Like, like the good Americans we are, we respect the troops, Brendan. But uh, <laughs> you know, let's let's get you guys out of there safe. Uh, it's a tough one. We played Air Force a couple years ago, and and I know by the, I think that was when like Shalit Calhoun was here, and there were some really good guys on the line. And yeah, it's. It's not fun. You're just watching that that D line more than you ever will, <laughs> and you're just praying that no one no one gets rolled up on, no one gets a cut block they weren't expecting, and just you just get out of the game. Yep. 
Then uh, in terms of what 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 we're looking for, what I'm looking for defensively for Michigan, I think there's two uh, major keys to winning this game on the defensive side of the ball. The first is I think 200 yards rushing. If you can keep them under that, you're probably in good shape. They're not they're not going to get much on you passing. So I, I don't think they'll be moving the ball much if you see that number under 200. Hopefully more close to 175, 150, but uh, with that defensive tackle depth that I was talking about, I'm not trying to be too uh, hopeful. And the other one would have to be um, try and not let them get into fourth and short scenarios because uh, they'll go for it. They are trying to be forward-thinking and analytical, and apparently last year Army tended a lot in fourth and one, two, or three situations especially in decent field position to just go for it. And against a triple option team, that also, I think, scares me. Obviously, you hope your defense can get stops in those scenarios, but I think the more effective way would keep keep their fourth down scenarios at least to fourth and medium. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's definitely key. I will say, though, I think uh, you're underestimating your defense a little bit. If Army is as uh, taking big a step back as they might have this year, because they only got 284 yards total against Rice last week. So uh, either that was a bad game for them, or they really do miss having Jay Bateman as their coach. So it'll be interesting, you know, for me to see uh, how Michigan stacks up with maybe this Army team not being quite as good, uh, and, and if that ends up coming through or not for them. Let but they be. will go for it on fourth. Their plan is to just extend drives as long as possible and give your offense maybe six possessions, seven possessions for the entire game. So that's what they're looking to do. Let it be on the record. I am very scared that Army held their <laughs> uh, was uh, looking ahead to this Michigan game. Um, okay, <laughs> I, I I'm taking the performance against Rice with a grain of salt. Obviously, the things matter, but uh, I don't know what they looked like before the Oklahoma game last year. I just get a little bit on the pessimism side, especially leading up to these games that really could be upsets. I know it's a 23-point spread, but I'm going to be nervous until we're up two scores. So let me ask, while you're nervous, are you nervous that Army was flying drones over your stadium? We're going to put an Alex Jones hat on. (laughs) And I have to ask this because this literally just popped up on ESPN at like three o'clock today that yeah. two people have been arrested for flying a drone over Michigan Stadium during the game. Yeah. So funny enough. Go on the sitting... record. Was that Army? Was that the government? Yeah. Well, looking at that's, you guys? That's a galaxy brain take right there, Jeremy. <laughs> I like that one. But no, for real, I was sitting there uh, during the third quarter uh, Saturday night and I'm looking up and I spotted the drone. And I was like, really? I, I assumed it was like a Big Ten Network drone or something. Cause that or the university, like, if it was a TV network. UFM video. So I could huh. not stop laughing the other, or I think it was either last night or today when Angelique from the, uh, oh God, is she Free Press? I'm not sure. I think she's the Detroit News, but she uh, had that article out about two people getting arrested for flying the drone over the big house. Wow pretty funny wow we got to get you guys better service in the big house because i did not hear about that during the game and i would have loved to know so we need to get you guys some wi-fi ohio yeah. state has it let's get you wi-fi we need you to be giving these updates because uh yeah, that would be nice know, there's an 
there's an info wars angle that we could have taken on Saturday night that would have blown us up for sure if we had Wi-Fi. So Michigan, give the people Wi-Fi. Yeah, no, don't even get me started on that one. <laughs> I, I was trying to refresh Twitter during the thousand media timeouts that we had. Thank you, Big Ten. Oh. And um, I, I, every time I wanted to refresh it, I would have to put my phone in airplane mode, take it out, and then refresh. And that's the only way it would work. It is absurd. Wow. Yeah. Um, to get a little bit back on track, for uh, my only offensive key – the game that I want to see is just please just use your offensive weapons. Use Nico Collins. Use Tariq Black. Use Zach Charbonnet because you're going to have probably better athletes um, than they will on the other side of the ball. If And you were right exactly about what you said about limiting the possessions. That's exactly what Army, Army is going to do. Hopefully we get some explosiveness out of this offense because – uh, if it starts flaming out, it could get ugly very quickly. Yeah, I think that's Army. I mean, Army's goal is to just keep it close and get it to where they're within a score or so starting the fourth quarter, and then they want to do a 10-minute drive, you know, and sap you out and score at the end of the game. Like, they they are definitely playing 4D chess with the time of possession. Uh, that's their goal. You know, like you said, they're very analytical in that way. They know what they have as far as athletes. So, yeah, I think uh, if you guys can get out and get a nice cushion early, you know, they're not a team that's going to be built to come back. So uh, that'll be key for you guys to hit on your big plays early, get up, and then just kind of keep everyone healthy. Yep, and that's really all I had. Uh, I I know we said last week that we're not going to be in the business of, like, score predictions or exact record predictions, but I guess um, – just a general feel for this game. Like I said, I'm nervous. My brain is telling me it's probably going to be a super ugly 14 to 17 point win that I'm just going to be happy we get out of. My heart is telling me to get ready to delete Twitter at four o'clock on Saturday. (laughs) Um, But, (laughs) but yeah, that's really all the thoughts I have on the upcoming Michigan game. Yeah. No, I think, I think you, uh, you definitely have, your head in the right place. Just keep knees intact, uh, get a win, and move on. Because uh, it's definitely going to be a, a tough, a tough task to go from Army to Wisconsin. So uh, you got to get your guys through this game and get ready for the next big game. Yeah, the bye week in between those is really going to help. I think. Oh, uh, that's crucial. Yeah, yeah, I'm very happy about that. Um, on to uh, Michigan State against Western Michigan. Western Michigan, we talked about Rice getting a 14-7 victory. Western Michigan played powerhouse Monmouth. <laughs> sarcasm. And uh, got a 48-13 victory. So what is M- what, are, what are MSU keys to this game? Well, first of all, I have to complain that this is a night game. It just annoys me. I don't want another night game, especially for Western. Um, you don't need to add any weirdness into it. But uh, keys for MSU, um, you know, as I was kind of dove today and, and looked into Western and looked at some things, um, you know, I think being on defense, uh, John Watson is a pretty pretty solid max quarterback. He's in his third year starting for Western. So he's not going to be afraid of – you know, MSU's had some bad luck playing good senior MAC quarterbacks. So uh, he's definitely going to present a challenge. Um, 
you know, he's not going to be nervous to come into Spartan Stadium and and just play his game. Uh, so I think, you know, keying on him, getting a good rush, hopefully rushing four uh, is going to be crucial for them. Um, Western has a pretty good back that could maybe get some yards in Levante Bellamy. Uh, but, you know, at this point, I'm kind of going to operate under the assumption that until a team runs on MSU, I'm not going to really be afraid of it. Uh, they may break off a run here or there, but it's not going to be something they can go to consistently uh, until someone does it. Um, but I think the the biggest matchup for Michigan State is that they have a pretty good tight end, Giovanni Ricci, who you know is really going to test the linebackers and pass coverage for MSU. Um, and that's something that you know, kind of like Army, I don't think you know Western is going to be slow and and really plotting to have long drives. But you know, when you get to third down you got to get off the field and if they're hitting on like third and sevens to their tight end over and over and just happen to be extending drives, uh, it's going to be a game where they're going to hang around. So I think one of the big keys on defense is getting them off the field. If you get them to third down, you've got to finish the job and, and give your offense as many chances at this as possible uh, to get their game figured out. Um, yeah. On offense, honestly, uh, for everything I said earlier, if I don't, you know, I'm okay with them not putting stuff on video. After last week, you just need to just open up the playbook. If you if you have to do more than what you want to do against Western, go ahead and do it. Um, not for the fans, not for us, uh, but for anything, just give this offense some confidence. Yeah. I, they can't be feeling too confident. It's They go up against this defense in practice all the time, and I know we get reports that it's more even than we consider it would be. But, you know, at this point, they, they heard the booze. They know what's going on. Give them – something to just feel good about uh, going into your more important games. So, you know, Arizona State's here next weekend. I know you want to save a lot of the playbook for that game, but it, at least early on to get a lead, let open up the playbook and let Lewerke or somebody else get, get some fun out of it and get them feeling good. Uh, I think that can go a long way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good, a really good point about giving the offense confidence. Uh, you know, hopefully they can put some point for uh, you and your fan base to say they can put some points on the board, but that would really give a nice confidence booster, especially going into a game uh, next week against Arizona State where they were obviously the game was played last year. It was super weird, uh, Pac-12 after dark, but uh, – I imagine Arizona State's going to give give MSU some fit, so some added confidence yeah. would be really nice. Um, this yeah, is yeah. Actually only fifteen points for this game, which kind of surprised me. Um, I don't know if that's more indicative of Western or State, but I just thought that was an interesting note that that spread was. Yeah, I know. I think it. I think so. it opened at seventeen, and it immediately got back down. Uh, you know, looking at S. SP plus the Bill Connolly stat, he has it right now at MSU about a 12-point favorite. Um, so I think, you know, 15 seems, seems okay from Vegas there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, looking at some players, too, just to see, like, individual players that I'll kind of be watching. Um, one guy I already wanted to see more from, and with some news that came out today, uh, it was going to be even more important. is probably wide receiver Lares Nelson. Uh, he, uh, he got some love on the athletic, like film breakdown of having one of the better pass routes where he actually got separation and Lewerke hit him with a crossing route. 
um, one of the long games for MSU that they had. And with the news today of Jalen Naylor, uh, what it looks like reports showing that he could have a broken foot and be done for the year. Uh, Lares Nelson's going to be someone that I think uh, could really help <laughs> ease some tension in the stands if he comes out and uh, makes a couple of big plays and becomes the speed guy because they're going to really miss Jalen Naylor as that role. Um, so he's going to be someone I watch a lot. Uh, and then, you know, he didn't get a touchdown because he got called back via holding, but I think MSU fans want to see more Elijah Collins as well uh, because we're going on a year plus now of seeing Ladarius Jefferson and Connor Hayward, and neither one of them is running away with the job out of the backfield. Uh, so at this point, we're kind of just to the point of just try everyone uh, yeah. and see who busts through um, because, you know, that – it, you can blame the offensive line a lot. I don't think it's easy for Connor or Ladarius right now to, to make runs, but there's plenty of times where they're missing their holes, missing cutbacks, uh, and neither one of them played running back in high school much or at all. So I think it's starting to show that they don't have the natural feel of what they need to do yet. Uh, so maybe Elijah Collins getting more involved would be something that Hopefully we get a lead and he can get a lot more series and, and get ready for Arizona State next week. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'm really intrigued to see what happens this weekend. Uh, it, do we know if MSU is wearing the uh, – we'll just kind they of are. just the alternate uniforms. Yeah, yeah, the hot take neon uniforms, which I do not hate. I'm actually sort of a fan. They grew on me. I still Ooh. hate the big state font across the front. I hate the font and the look of it. Yeah, that's uh, really my neon, only complaint. <laughs> Yeah, I think the neon itself is nice, and I uh, and I like the helmet, and I like a lot of things that go with it. Uh, but that that state across the front just kind of looks like, you know, if you're watching like uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie like Rollerball from like the early 2000s, LL Cool J. Kind of looks like that, just like some random movie team that they set in like the 20 in like the next century. That is the most futuristic football team. Yeah. That's what they look like. So I just don't even hate, but I actually love the color and I think it could look pretty cool under the lights. Um, And as I was doing some research, I found out that uh, last time state played Western, they wore the white uniforms and Brian Lewerke broke off a 61 yard touchdown run. So, Hey, alternates against Western has some good history. Yeah. Hoping that it uh, does that again. Yeah, no, I, I actually completely agree with that uniform take. It's so easy to dunk on them, but in reality, I do like the color, especially with the mix of black and neon, but my Lord, that font across the front just makes it so easy to make fun of. Um, oh, it's bad. I have heard, though, and I and I forget who said it, but uh, some people have seen like the players wearing it, and I've heard it looks better than it does on the mannequin. Hopefully. Uh, I mean, it's not hard to look better, though, because it looks awful on the mannequin. Uh, yeah. But hopefully that helps a little bit because I did, you know, I forget if it was Colton Pouncey or uh, from The Athletic or somebody else who said, like, they saw some players wearing it and it seemed to look a little bit better that way versus the picture that came out last spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no matter, no matter what, you're going to see Graham Couch bitching about it on Twitter, so. <laughs> That'll be there, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and he'll get all the Michigan retweets for that one. But uh, hopefully, the jersey is a pretty low part of the story on Saturday night. Yeah, hopefully. All right, and with that, I guess we should probably just move on to uh, 
Big Ten or even just uh, national college football talk. We mentioned earlier that it was a pretty bland opening week compared to the usual usual chaos we get. Um, although it was fun laughing at Tennessee, I will never pass up an opportunity yeah. to laugh at Tennessee. Yeah, I, yeah, it wasn't any chaos in the top 25. There was some fun games, uh, oh, but yeah. definitely didn't shake up our top 25 at all. Um, or too much, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of crazy, and it, it kept going into the night. I happened to do the the late shift on the USC game and saw JT Daniels go down, so it uh it had a lot of weird storylines coming out of week one, but but I think this week we might have some actual shaking up of our top twenty five, and it you know get some of that chaos going this week. Yeah, hopefully we got the uh, top ten matchup between LSU and Texas. That's uh, in Austin, and then uh, another top fifteen matchup with. Number one, Clemson hosting Texas A&M. Both of those, I think, have really good possibilities to be good games. You're obviously going to miss the uh, Texas LSU yeah. with it being at the same time as uh, when you're at Spartan Stadium. But, uh, luckily, that Clemson A&M game, I think, fits right in between both of the games uh, that we're going to cover. Yep. So, yeah, be- I think that's a 3.30 game. I think if it goes the way I think it could, Clemson could – boat race at the first half and I'll know that it's set and not be too mad that I missed the second half. But uh yeah, that's uh that's definitely one that I'm keying in on. I think the noon game noon slate, especially as a Michigan State fan, has some pretty good options too. Um I'm actually not gonna be hashtag obsessed. I think I'm actually gonna catch more of the uh Cincinnati Ohio State game. I for some reason I just uh well I'll, I'll tell. I'll come right out with it. I think I want Luke Fickle as the Mark Antonio replacement. So now I've made a vested interest in watching Cincinnati. Uh, so I'd like to see how he does up against uh, Ohio State Saturday, and and I'll pop in on Michigan if it's getting a little interesting there. But uh, but what's some of the games what, that you're kind of highlighting? I tell you what. After the uh, summer that Luke Fickle and Jim Harbaugh had, that would be the most oh, yeah. grand hire ever for Michigan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but I wanted him before that, and that was just you know. Now that just the hashtag content that we could have. Brandon, oh yeah, that. we get some spicy takes. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> Ohio State Cincy should be a good game. I think uh, I'm hoping Cincy can at least keep it close at the beginning. Yeah. Um, in other uh, kind of mid-tier Big Ten teams taking on mid-tier uh, other Power Five teams. We have Maryland taking on Syracuse, uh, which could be very interesting. That'd be a huge win for the Terps, I think, over a Syracuse team that's actually ranked uh, 21st. Um, I didn't see this my first time around, but Nebraska and Colorado are also playing, um, which ESPN has as about a 50-50 toss-up on the matchup predictor. Um, yeah. Then we have uh, – one, one thing we have to go back with Syracuse, though, because if we're going to talk about week one and the craziness, we now know that Maryland can't coach from a hospital bed. You know, Babers doesn't mess around. No, he doesn't no. feel bad for you, and he's going to shut you out. So yeah. he uh, he so showed Maryland, mercy as <laughs> anyone playing Hugh Freeze in literally anything. Um, oh man, that was a blessing Saturday yeah. night. We were blessed yes. Saturday night with all the all the content of Hugh Freeze going from pep speech in the hospital bed, coaching in a hospital bed, to then press conference in a hospital bed. I love this stupid sport. It's, yep, yep. It, you can't beat it. <laughs> uh, 
And then the uh, the other two Big Ten ones that I got kind of got my eye on are the uh, Purdue Vanderbilt game. Purdue had an absolute meltdown against Nevada. For anybody that missed that, they had like a two touchdown lead with I think less than ten minutes left, and ended up getting beat on back to back touchdowns and then a, a walk off fifty six yard field goal. It was absolute chaos, and that's by Nevada. And then um, Minnesota Fresno State. I'm Really intrigued to see how Minnesota responds after almost losing to South Dakota. And I'll say Fresno was not bad against USC. I kind of like their quarterback a little bit too. Uh, so that could be something that PJ Fleck got a lot of hype coming in and got some hype this summer, but it was not an inspiring first week for them. So I'm that's definitely know. an intriguing one. Uh, that's one where I'll be checking the score and dictating if that makes me stop on in or not uh but yeah, yeah that could be a super interesting game yeah, it has no some potential for sure ever play top tier fcs teams ever for any reason um no i was i was at the appalachian state game albeit as young as i was <laughs> and yeah there's just no reason to play any top tier fcs teams and minnesota no. almost found that out the hard way especially like you said with the amount of hype they had coming in yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh should be a pretty good slate in the Big Ten. I think uh, it, it really could tell us a lot about the middle of the table. Uh, so that that could be uh, interesting too. Yep. Um, you have any other games that you were looking at? Uh, you know, I think uh, I was mapping it out today for a post that's going to go up at, uh, at the site this, this week for us, and I was kind of – I think I mentioned all the ones I was kind of keying in on. Um, you know, the only thing is that, again, just because I love some ugly, uh, I am an MSU fan, so I love watching some ugly football sometimes. That Stanford-USC game when I get home, oh, it's could be a be nice gross. little wind down. That could be very interesting to see uh, USC starting a three-star freshman quarterback against that Stanford defense. Uh, it could be very ugly. Uh Luckily, it's at USC, so I don't think uh, we're going to see Clay Helen get fired on the tarmac via Lane Kiffin. But uh, this could be this could be a game that really starts to spiral USC on top of losing JT Daniels for the year. Yeah, um, you know. But it also Stanford was not very impressive against Northwestern, so I am very intrigued to see uh, that could be a fun game. Like either either team losing that game, I can see. And I can also see either team losing that game and just hyperventilating about it. So uh, the masochist in me will like to watch some of that as I uh, unwind from, from being at Spartan Stadium. But again, with uh, with the 100 TV timeouts, maybe I won't make it home in time anyways. So yeah, yeah, uh, we'll no, have to see how that goes. Not not a big fan of the 100 TV timeouts uh, of this podcast. Uh, uh, but at yeah, some point, I could kill the guy in the red hat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that USC Stanford is definitely going to be a guilty pleasure college football game. Uh, oh, for sure. <laughs> nothing about it will be good, except all of it will be because of that fact. Yes. Um, uh, yes. If that's, if that's it for you, then I guess we should uh, let you go watch your Bears then, huh? Yeah, yeah. I got uh, Blessed B. Mitchell Trubisky and uh, and the good the good bench, Tariq Cohen. Hopefully we, uh, we're talking about how much the Packers suck next week, so. Yeah, yeah, mate. We'll, we'll definitely see. Uh, outside of that, um, we're going to sign off. Uh, as of right now, still, we're just on SoundCloud, just waiting on Apple to get back to us. 
and go follow at Podcast Divided. Going to start to be more active on that. I'll probably be live tweeting the Michigan game from that account this weekend. So you can check us out on all those formats, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, folks. See you next week.